And he prescribed very specific ways of what those sacrifices were supposed to be. Israel had forgotten that. Israel had begun and they said, well, we'll do it how we want to do it. Well, when we take the place of God and we determine what we're going to worship and how we're going to worship and where we're going to worship, we're in big trouble. But we live in a society and a world today that has done that very thing. There are many who replace a form of religion and deny its power, as the New Testament talks about. So, you know, it's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's another thing to know how Jesus can, has the power to change and transform your life and to give you new direction and give you new me- your life meaning. And so he said, listen, uh, you know, so you're you know, just killing a bull and, you know, um, just going through motions and, uh, you know, God knows that. Isaiah reminds us that God knows the intent of our hearts. And the intent of our heart directs our actions. We can say, well, I didn't mean to do it, but the reality is a lot of times when we do something, we meant to do it. It wasn't an accident. Uh, we, we may not have, you know, thought about, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to say, but remember what works, you know, from the heart proceeds, the, you know, what, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And so what we've built our life around, what we've centered our life around and where our worship is, that is revealed in life. Why are there so many that say they live for Jesus and they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and yet uh, they're not involved in the Lord's work and they don't gather with God's people and uh, they you know, live like the devil uh, and yet they claim to be God's child. Well, the reality is that, and Jesus said this way, he said, you'll, you'll know them by their fruit. See, God's people are not perfect. Here's the thing, God doesn't expect any of us to be perfect. He knows we're not. He knows the good and the bad and the ugly of us, and yet he loves us anyway, and he says, you know what, I know you're messed up. And I know you don't deserve to come into my presence, but I desire for you to come into my presence. I desire for you to know me in your life and for me to be in the center of your life. And so they were just going through motions and they weren't bringing the right things for an offering and they weren't doing it in the right way. They weren't doing it in the right place. And saying, well, you know, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But God reminds us, yes, it, it does matter. Jesus said, you, you know, God desires for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we know God, and as we walk with God, and as we worship him corporately and individually, God works in our life, and uh, God is working to change us. And so when we, you know, don't worship him, and we don't come... Uh, to spend time with him individually and corporately our life begins to shift and we begin to head for trouble God is not looking for you just to go through the motions 
And he doesn't need you to show up in church. He doesn't need you to, you know, give offerings to him just so that you can say that you do it. He said, no, what I desire is humility and a contrite heart. Remember, he says several times throughout the Old Testament, those are the things that he desires. And that he won't turn away from those that have those things. But those who uh, come out of presumption or out of arrogance say, well, it doesn't really matter how I worship God. God's not going to receive that worship. And God's not pleased with that. There's a lot of what is called worship today in church and in homes uh, that really is not worship. Because it, it points to us rather than to the Almighty. And worship is not about us. And so when we say, oh, I don't like those songs. I wish I'd sing something different. Or that message was horrible. You know, when we have to add to that, it's a sign that our worship is not where it ought to be. And our heart's not where it ought to be. Because every time we come and we gather together and we sing, no matter what the songs are, whether they're new, whether they're old, whether we like them or whether we don't, God desires to use our singing and our prayers and the preaching of his word to challenge us and to encourage us and to mold us into what he wants us to be. And so often, so many children of God miss out on what God has for their life because they're not willing to, to submit to true worship. They're not willing to say, you know, Lord, you take me and you make me into what you want me to be. And if, we, if we're not reading God's word, we're not praying, and we're not gathering together corporately uh, with God's people, then we're not giving God the opportunity to change us and to make us. And so when we come to worship corporately, when we pray you know, individually at home, and when we pray together as a family at home, we ought to come expecting God to meet with us and expecting God to work and to speak. And the thing Isaiah reminds us, if God is speaking, if we'll listen. But here's the thing, he also says, if God speaks and we're not willing to, God will get our attention. And we know that ultimately the way that God is going to get Judah's attention is that he's going to send a foreign heathen army to come and ransack their land and take them off captive. My prayer is that it doesn't take a captivity to get our attention and for our hearts to call out to God. So the Lord is looking for true worship, but then he reminds us something else, that our worship leads to something. The Lord is also looking for true living. Isaiah reminds us that, you know what, God, as we worship him and as God is working in our life, it impacts how we live our life. There are plenty of people that don't know God and are not living for the Lord that Sunday morning is just another day for them. Maybe it's a day to sleep in. 
Maybe it's a day to go play golf. Maybe it's... And yet, the the, uh, Sabbath day was intended to be about God. It was created to be a day for God. But God understood that how we worship individually and corporately affects how we live our life. So not only do we gather together as God's people because we're God's people, not so that we can be saved, but because we are. And we want to know God. We want God to work in our life. We gather together with God's people. But also, it affects how we live. Christians ought to be honest. We ought to be loving. We ought to be gracious. We ought to know God's blessing. And so he said, you know what? You know, I'm speaking and no one heard me. He said, when they didn't hear me, I am going to come and I am going to judge them. And they're going to be punished. In fact, he mentions a few times here in this chapter that the Lord says, I'm going to destroy my enemies. They're going to be killed. They're going to spend eternity in torment, he reminds us, at the end. That they'll be reminded, you know, that those that reject God and God's ways and don't live for God, that's ultimately going to be their undoing. And that God is going to... uh, bring um, deliverance to those that worship him. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But he's going to bring judgment upon those that try to do things their, their own way. Uh, and it's not going to be a good day. And so he says, listen, hear the word of the Lord, those that tremble at his word. Who, who's, who's he talking about? He's talking about the faithful He's talking about his people, those that worship God in spirit and in truth. He said, you'll be mocked because of your living for me. Maybe you'll be called names. Maybe you'll be persecuted in other ways. But remember what God says in verse 6. The sound of the noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Isaiah reminds us that God hears us and he sees us and he knows how we're living. He knows if we're living for him or whether we're living for ourselves. He knows whether we've surrendered to him and whether we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus or whether we're becoming less and less and less and less like Jesus. And you see the choice that Isaiah reminds us over and over and over again, it's our choice. And so he says, you know what, in uh, verse 12, he says, you know what, this, for this says the Lord, behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. 
And then you shall feed, and her side shall be carried and dandled on her knee. Uh, you'll be comforted in Jerusalem. In other words, God says, you know what? Yeah, they're going to ridicule you. They're going to mock you. They're, you know, things not, are not always going to be easy, but you can rest assured that God will bring comfort. Even in the midst of trials and even in the midst of persecution, God is there and God is looking for us to live for him. Not to live for ourselves, not to live for others, but to live for him. And when we live our life for him, our life falls in place. And not that things are easy and we're free of problems, no, but things are easier. Because we're not going through life alone. Because we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords going along and going through life with us. And so we must be reminded that God is near us. But God expects us to live for Him. God desires for us to live for Him. He desires for us not to just simply go through the motions of worship and worship of being good, but rather that we would live for Him. That we would desire to see Him work and change our lives and change our world. He says in verse 18, I know your works and your thoughts. God knows all about us. He sees the the deeds that we do, but he also sees the thoughts that we have. And so he reminds us, hey, listen, I'm looking for true worship, and I'm looking for true living. And when we're living for God, here's the last point that Isaiah concludes this wonderful book with. He says, listen, the Lord is also looking for true victory. So often we say, why do those that are living like pagans and heathen and doing all kinds of bad stuff, why do they seem to get ahead? And they've got it so much better than what I've got it, and I'm trying to do right. Well, Isaiah reminds us of this important age-old answer to the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Well, it happens because we're living in a sinful, fallen world. But ultimately, God is going to remake this world, that this old sinful world is going to pass away. That the way that God is ultimately going to have the final victory is He's going to destroy this sinful, old, fallen, wrecked world and restore it with a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be a, a, a place where God's people live and where they, they worship and where they know His light and they know His love and they know His mercy and grace. And uh, you know, So he, he says, listen, there's going to be this ultimate final victory where there is finally peace, finally where the things that are wrong in this world will be made right, and it doesn't come through a politician or through money or through stuff, but it comes through a Savior. 
And that's the whole point of all 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah and all 66 chapters of the books of the Bible is that God is working to bring final victory. That sin and man's choice was destroying what God had made and God is working to put it back together again. And he ultimately does. You see, the new heavens and new earth that's mentioned in Revelation is not just a new hampy, fancy thing that the Apostle John came up with. Rather, Isaiah talked about it hundreds of years before John was a twinkle in his mother's eye. And so God reminds us, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have victory. And the day is going to come when there will be peace. I know there works, and you know what? I will bring together people from every corner of the earth. You see, the gospel from the very beginning has been for all people, not just for the nation of Israel, not just for Jews, But the Bible tells us that God has always had a heartbeat for every tribe on earth. That God loves all people. John 3.16, that great verse you remember, John, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so what a great reminder it is that the Lord is looking for true victory and he ultimately will bring it. You see that old uh, hymn, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And that is so true and ultimately will be realized when Jesus Christ comes again. And so he says, I'm going to bring people from every tribe, every tongue, and they're going to worship me. They're going to see my glory and power, and they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And then look at what he says. He says, I'm even going to make Levites and priests out of some of them. If that doesn't show us God's redeeming plan for all mankind, I don't know what would. God says, you know what, I'm going to take and I'm going to... The, the, Levi, the priesthood, remember, was set aside and there were only certain people of a certain tribe that held the title of priest. And yet God says the day is going to come when I'm going to have priests of every tongue and every tribe and every kindred. And the Bible tells it, and the New Testament teaches us that what? Who's these new priests? It's me. And it's you. Peter says it this way. He says, you are a kingdom of royal priests. He said, you have, you know, he reminds us, and Paul reminds us that we are not built for this world. We were built for the next one. We were made for eternity. And ultimately, we will have the final victory that we sing about, victory in Jesus, 
We ultimately will see that one day when we stand before him and we're made whole. And ultimately one day this world is going to pass away and all the effects of sin that has destroyed God's beautiful creation will be made as he intended for it to be. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth where there is no curse of sin. And oh, what a place that will be. But God reminds us that he's looking for some stuff. He's looking for true worship. Not worship because of what we get out of it. Not worship that we make and can manipulate. But true worship. And he's looking for true living because he understands that what we worship affects what we live and how we live. And if we're, our life is centered around Jesus, it will impact every area of our life. And then lastly, Isaiah reminds us as he concludes that ultimately God has the last word. And ultimately, God does have victory. Ultimately, he does defeat sin. And ultimately, Satan is punished and done away with and sent to this everlasting place of punishment with those that follow after him and those that reject the Lord. So he reminds us here as he wraps up, you know what? Eternity is real. And we make the choice of how our eternity is going to be. And our eternity and where we're going to spend it and how it's going to be is determined by what, who, and how we worship. And that same lesson is true for us today. Isaiah's word is alive and applicable to us in 2021, just as it was about 3,000 years ago when Isaiah lived. Isn't that wonderful that God's word is living and powerful? And God's promises come true, that God is faithful to keep his word. And so may God help us to remember God is faithful, and God is true. May we be as well. That's all, folks. Let's stand together, and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Brother George, he dismissed us for Sunday school this morning.